0: resonate with our hearts like a story, and you know I'm sure many of you have been captivated by, by books or, or movies at some point in your life and treasured those. You know, my youngest child, even this morning, he, he asked me to read to him, and he can sit for hours if somebody's willing just to sit with him and read to him. If somebody's not reading to him, uh, it's a different story, he will not sit still, but, uh, but he will sit and listen, uh, because he he even asks about stories that he hasn't heard. That uh, he's you know heard something about a story, and he wants to know more about it. He wants to fill in uh, what he's missing and and experience that story for himself. And a story can captivate the mind, and good storytelling brings this out. And uh, you know. It, people, and and maybe we we probably have used this illustration more than we should here up in the pulpit, but, you know, Lord of the Rings has a lot of of illustrations there, but I'm just reminded of, even in the movie version, Sam's speech from The Two Towers, where he says, uh, you know, even this darkness must pass, a new day will come, and when the sun shines, it will shine out all the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you that meant something, even when you were too small to understand why. You know, stories speak to our hearts. And they do that even when we don't understand why. So in in schooling our kids, math does not do that. Outlines and methods and memorization don't resonate like a narrative. And, you know, God made us this way. And he gives us Scripture in a way that's meant to resonate with our hearts in the form of a narrative. The Gospels themselves are a specific kind of narrative. They they tell the story of how Jesus fulfills the promises that are recorded in Scripture from God. And they tell us the story of God with us, Emmanuel, God who came to redeem us from our sin. And it's set in this wider narrative of humanity that labors under the weight of sin, awaiting redemption that has been promised by God. So Christ came for us. That is the story of the gospel. And it's the story of the Advent season, which we're coming out of at this point. And as we come out of Advent, we can look back on that time with the joy and comfort of hearing the story of Christ And we see the salvation of our God does not come in the form of an outline or a summary of rules. And certainly scripture contains certain aspects of those things, but it's set within this context of God who came within history and time and relates to people. And so God came to rescue us. And so this week, we're going to move into Matthew chapter 9. And in the past several accounts that we've looked at from Matthew, we've looked at how Matthew is building a storyline. We need to see how all these accounts relate to one another and build upon one another. And we have been, since the start of chapter 8, where we've gone through each of these stories, we've been asking this question, who is Jesus? Because that's the question that Matthew is asking of us to answer. Right? They, they also... You know, as much as these accounts ask that question, they, they themselves answer it for us. So we're going to see that. So this week, Matthew's storyline takes us back to this theme of healing that we saw at the beginning of chapter 8. But this time, we'll see this next step in the argument that Matthew's building. This striking statement that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So let's read Matthew chapter 9. Together. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. So this is another place where Mark and Luke go into more detail than Matthew. So we just read Matthew's account, but let's go ahead and read Mark's account as well, just to see some of the difference there, and maybe understand a little bit of what Mark is and Luke, you know, the telling of the story, but more specifically, what is Matthew aiming at as he recounts this for us? Okay, so in Mark chapter two, it says, and when he returned to Capernaum, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, "'Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone?' And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they less questioned within themselves, said to them, "'Why do you question these things in your hearts? "'Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, "'Your sins are forgiven,' but he does it in 60% more space. And he adds 60% more details. And while Matthew is cutting out all that extra information, what he's actually doing is he's focusing on the person of Christ. He's focusing the account on Jesus himself, and he's been doing that all through chapter 8 on into chapter 9. Okay? And so Matthew is also raising this question. Sometimes he specifically does it in the text. Who is Jesus. So in each of the last several passages in Matthew, we see that stress on Jesus's authority and how that answers the question of who he is and what he came to do. And and this week, we see that Jesus has all authority, and this points to him being the Messiah. And the conclusion is this claim that he has authority on earth to forgive sin. So let's go back, let's look at Matthew 9, and let's look more carefully at it. And in answering that question, who is Jesus? We'll see that Jesus is the one who forgives sin, and Jesus has all authority, and Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the one who brings forgiveness. Okay, so Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, and getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city, and behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. So Jesus had crossed over the Sea of Galilee earlier in chapter 8 over to the opposite side, to the Gadarenes, which was this Greek area. And that's where he healed the demon-possessed men. And now he crosses back over the sea, returning to Capernaum, and after returning, he and the disciples enter a home in Capernaum. And remember, he had left there because of this increasing attention that he was getting and the crowds that had begun to follow him. And when he returns, the crowds return again. They're beginning to follow him again. So according to Mark and Luke, there were many gathered who, uh, there with him, and he was preaching the word to them. In particular, a crowd of people gathers around this house and so those in the town who want to bring someone to be healed, you may remember back from chapter 8, there was the leper and the centurion who had, they had brought to be healed. And so now we have this similar account with the paralytic. And so in the midst of this gathering crowd, there's so many people that they're not even able to get the paralytic in to see Jesus. So some creative folks decide that they're just going to come in through the roof. So they remove part of the roof. They lower the paralytic in, on a bed or some sort of mat, and um, through the roof in order to get him closer to Jesus. And so Jesus responds by recognizing their faith. So in many ways similar to those accounts with the with the leper and the centurion and his servant. And, but this time he adds something else. He says, "Son, your sins are forgiven." And so this is something new that we're adding here. So some scribes were among the crowd, and they questioned Jesus in their hearts. Going back to to Matthew 9, verse 3, it says, And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blasphemy. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So they considered it blasphemy. And they knew that only God could forgive sin. And this dialogue is giving us, the readers, some clues. It points us toward the real point, right, that Jesus is the Son of God. So the the one who does not have, or sorry, he has the power to forgive sin, right? He is the one who has the power to forgive sin. And the, the thoughts of the scribes raise this question for us. It raises this question in our mind to put the pieces together, to answer that question. And so Jesus then explains to them that he perceived what they were thinking. And he preemptively responds to their doubt. He asks them why they were thinking evil of him. And then Jesus helps to answer that question raised by the scribe's thoughts. He explains for us why his power to heal was so important. Right? That power to heal points to his role as the Christ. So it answers that question, who is Jesus? He's the one who has the power to heal in a way that is beyond the power of those who came before him. He's the one who has the power to forgive sins. And so the issue is that the scribes have been thinking negatively concerning Christ and he perceives their heart and that must really have shocked them how he understood the intentions of their hearts. That alone should give them pause. It really should give us pause as well. And it points out that Jesus is different. He then responds to their critical thoughts. He demonstrates his authority right in front of them. He heals the paralytic and tells him to walk. And he does this as a proof to the scribes of his authority to forgive sin. So who can forgive sin but God alone? And that is the issue that the scribes are struggling with. Right? Their they're right in thinking of this authority belongs to God. But We also see that first in Scripture, this authority to forgive sins is is attributed to God in several places. I'll just give you one briefly here in Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the East is from the West, so does he remove our transgressions from us. It's it's an understanding in Scripture that God is the one who forgives sin. And, And second, we also understand that God, as creator of the world, is the one who has right and authority over his creation. And so the scribes are correct. Right, This is the basis of their concerns. Who can forgive but God alone? And so Jesus then tells the paralytic, after, after doing this, to go home. And the paralytic does. In verse 7, and he rose and went home. And then in verse 8, when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. So, The crowds, again, they respond in amazement. But this time, they glorify God for what Christ did and for what they had seen. Others among the prophets healed with God working through them. They were pointing to God by their work. But Christ is doing something more. His actions point us to who he is. He is the Christ, the Messiah. And so Jesus' healings are a foreshadowing of how he will fulfill that role as Messiah. And um, we see this even back in chapter 8 as well. Um, And we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, Mark and Luke go into more detail on the setting. You know, on the, the paralytic... Uh, who brought him in, into more detail on the, the scribes and their thoughts? And you have to ask, why does Matthew trim down all the details? Normally, we think of Mark as being the really succinct, short gospel, right? Where Mark and Luke seem to be focusing on the accuracy, Matthew crafts this account to focus on Jesus. Not that it's inaccurate, it's just focused, it's focused right on Jesus. And so Matthew's focusing on that question that we've been hearing again and again and again since chapter eight, who is Jesus, right? There's a bigger story arc here. And Jesus is claiming this authority and we've seen Jesus's authority throughout these accounts. And here he's claiming this authority as he explains to the scribes, right? Jesus, knowing their thoughts said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, rise and walk but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And so we've been building to this moment. Chapters 8 and 9 are full of these hints pointing at Jesus' authority and asking this question, who is Jesus? And finally, here in chapter 9, he is the one who claims the authority that belongs to God. He forgives sin. And taken with chapter 8 we see that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. So let's look back at this story arc in chapters 8 and 9. Throughout that section, we see two angles. The first is set in this context of Jesus' authority. And the second is how that authority tells us who he is. So let's look at the first angle first. Let's how Jesus demonstrates his authority. So Jesus has the authority to forgive. Matthew's been building this case for us to see it, right? And he does this by emphasizing Jesus's authority in each of the accounts. So in his teaching, in his healing, in his kingdom, in his command over the wind and the sea, in his command over the demons, in his forgiveness of sin. So first in his teaching, you know, that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount... After Jesus had taught them, it says that he taught as one having authority and not like one of the scribes. In his healing of the leper and the centurion's servant and Peter's mother and many others, and several believe, as people come to him for help and express their faith, he shows compassion on them. But this shows his authority, that he has the power to heal. In his kingdom, in that interlude where there's these two disciples or would-be disciples who come to follow Jesus, it has this theme of the kingdom and what the kingdom will look like, right? The Son of Man, he uses that title of himself, the Son of Man, and points to him commanding a kingdom, even as he has no place to lay his head, right? So the the point there is that his kingdom is unlike earthly kingdoms, and his authority is greater than earthly kings. And so he does not have to place his head, his power transcends the expectations of those earthly kingdoms. In his command over the wind and the sea, as they cross the sea, the wind and the waves are fierce, but they obey his command. And we see that Jesus has command over the physical world. And his command over the demons. The demons just recognize his authority immediately. And they submit to his authority. So Jesus has command over the spiritual world. And in his forgiveness of sins, in this week's passage, we see that Jesus claims the power to forgive sin. And he does this based on this demonstration of his authority. And we've seen this in in all these accounts building up to this point. Even in the earlier accounts in Capernaum, he teaches with authority. He brings a kingdom. He commands the physical and the spiritual. He has all authority on heaven and earth. And yet who can forgive but God alone? So Jesus has all authority, even the authority to forgive sins. And that points to the fact that he is the son of God, the one who could take away the sins of the world. And we see this from the opening of Matthew's gospel. So this is not something new. And Matthew points out that how Jesus fulfills prophecy. And now he's demonstrating that for us based on what Jesus did on earth. And he shows these things through these demonstrations of authority to prove to us who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. And so his person and his role, he is the son of God and the Christ, okay? His authority intersects with who he is. Jesus knew, that, knew this, and he uses this healing as a demonstration that right? the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sin. And his miracles testify to that authority. They validate his identity. They attest to his mission. And so he is God with us, Emmanuel. He is the one who comes to take away the sin of the world. Or from Matthew chapter 8, he is the suffering servant who took our illnesses and bore our diseases. He is the son of man who brings a kingdom. Right? We, we've seen this over and over again in chapter 8. Right? So who is Jesus? He is the Messiah, the one who brings forgiveness and healing. So let's look at that second angle. right? Jesus brings Forgiveness. So Matthew is answering that question: who is Jesus? Right? It's implicitly asked again and again, and Matthew uses these accounts both to ask and answer the question. And we see how we've recounted now throughout chapters eight and nine this authority that's been demonstrated again and again. But alongside that authority, we also see the, the role that Jesus is playing and the titles that he assumes. And that's answering that question, who is Jesus? In the first half of chapter 8, he's the one who heals, specifically fulfilling what was prophesied in Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Right? This points out that Jesus is the suffering servant from Isaiah. It points out that he is the Messiah. So in the middle of chapter 8, he calls himself the son of man. Right? This is a reference to Daniel. And he is the one who has authority over kingdoms, yet his kingdom is not of this world. So, the measure of greatness that we use is not the gauge that he uses. His authority is greater, and it, it lines up with his greater purpose and mission. And so, the coming kingdom of the Messiah is counterintuitive. It challenges us to evaluate even our own understanding. And next, when crossing the sea, the disciples ask, What sort of man is this? Their question again leads us, the readers, to ask that question Who is Jesus? And we see this demonstration of power and authority over the physical world. And his authority exceeds that of a, of a prophet or a king. It's greater than they understood. And the disciples responded in fear. Then after they cross, the uh, demons actually give us a clue. They call him the son of God. They know. And so um, they know who he is. They submit to his authority. And uh, he's not just a prophet, he's the Son of God. And now, as Jesus returns to Capernaum, he again calls himself the Son of Man. But this time he adds, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. And so, the Messiah who took our illnesses and bore our diseases is the Son of Man who will inherit a kingdom. He is the Son of God with all authority in heaven and earth. And he is the one who forgives sin. Okay. So these accounts help us to see how Jesus' authority connects with who he is. You can't separate these two themes. His authority points to his person and his role. And so the crowd seemed to understand, at least in part, they respond by giving glory to God, who had given authority to men. So the crowd glorifies God. In verse 8, the crowd, when they saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. So how did these scribes respond to Jesus' claim? We don't have an indication. Instead, the text zooms out and looks at the crowd, right? Um, There is in in the Mark um, and Luke accounts, it talks about what the paralyzed man did um, and how... He went home glorifying God. Uh, They were all amazed and glorified God. But this specific response of the scribes is not recorded. And instead, this focus on the crowd is that they were amazed and glorified God. So what was their amazement? Did they find the miracle itself astonishing? Or were they astonished by Christ's claim to authority? I, I think it's the latter because in the text, it specifically references the authority of Christ, right? That, they, that God had given such authority to men, right? He had performed miracles in this town before. And so his power and authority were known, but this claim to forgive sin was a big deal. You know, earlier, Matthew in chapter eight gives it to us as, as a footnote for the reader that this fulfills Isaiah. Here Jesus openly says it. Okay. So this crowd responds with fear, but this time they also respond by giving glory to God. And Matthew's made this, this comment, for instance, um, it was back in Matthew 8:17 that it fulfills Isaiah. But he also says in 820, right, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. And, and these are this this is all messianic titles, right? This is pointing out this role that Jesus plays. And so there's nothing new here. We've been seeing this all through Matthew, but it's being unveiled to the people more clearly. It's more explicit. So this storyline has been building over the last chapter, and they have seen his authority again and again. And these stories had likely spread far and wide by now. Even what had been done across the sea probably had returned back to Capernaum. But now Jesus makes this greater claim. Your sins are forgiven. Did the crowds understand that claim and what it meant? Really, it's a claim to deity. And they likely didn't understand They were amazed that this miracle happened. They were also astonished by this claim to authority. But there's nothing in the text that indicates that they fully understood at this point. We continue to see the unveiling of things as we continue through Matthew. We've got a lot more story to tell going forward. But Jesus is saying that his miracles testify to his authority to forgive sin. And this is a claim to deity because who can forgive sin but God alone? And so the crowd responds differently than the scribes. They glorified God who had given such authority to men. And though they see his authority, they do not fully answer that question, who is Jesus? That's the question that Matthew is putting before the reader. And that's the question that Matthew puts before you today. And how will you answer that question? There's more that we'll see in this unveiling of who Jesus is as we continue in Matthew. But Matthew's going to show us again and again how Jesus reveals who he is. But Matthew does not leave us hanging here. He points us to the answer even at this point. So as we read Matthew's gospel, you see Jesus' demonstration of authority. You see his claim to authority. You see his pronouncement of the forgiveness of sins. And you see his claim of these titles given to the Messiah. And how do you respond to that? We are to recognize Jesus' authority. It's comprehensive. He has all authority in heaven and on earth, over the physical and the spiritual. He has the creator has authority to judge and he has the authority to forgive sin. We are to see Jesus as the Messiah. Right? Jesus comes with this purpose and goal of redemption. And it's to fulfill the Father's plan. His authority is so intrinsic to who he is, but it also points us toward understanding his role. Jesus comes as the Christ to bring forgiveness. We are to give glory to God. Right? The crowds gave glory to God at this display of authority. And though they likely didn't make this connection between the display of authority and his office, they did give glory to God for that authority. But Matthew has given us a better understanding. We should give glory to God for sending his son to bring forgiveness for us. And this morning... We've seen the person of Christ, the authority of Christ, the office of Christ, and an example of how people responded. The person of Christ, right? Jesus is the one who forgives. The authority of Christ, he has this authority to forgive, right? This office of Messiah, Jesus brings forgiveness, and the crowds glorify God. And that question of how do we respond knowing that? may you give glory to God for what he has done to bring forgiveness and reconciliation through his son. And like the paralyzed man needing healing, may you come to him in faith and personally trust him for forgiveness of sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son. And thank you for revealing who he is through your word, through the gospels. So, Lord, help us to read and to listen and to hear. And I pray that you would help us in our hearts to resonate with this story of redemption that you have brought to us. So, Lord, thank you for sending your son. And, Lord, help us to trust you. That's in Christ's name I pray.